All right, what concert costs just 45 cents? 50 Cent featuring Nickelback. Oh my god. Another dad joke. Google dad jokes and you'll get you'll get some bangers. <laughs> Welcome back to the Unfiltered Underdogs. To the first pick of the 2007 NFL Draft, the Oakland Raiders select quarterback, Demarcus Russell. So while Goff may be something of a financial burden now, he's going to be a financial luxury in a couple of years. Happy Bobby Bonilla Day! Yay! Today is the day the Mets paid their oldest player. He is 53 years old. He doesn't even suit up anymore. Full podcast. Full podcast. And yeah, that's fair. And today we're talking about essentially comparing... Hopefully not Nickelback. Not Nickelback. Even though I'd go to one right now just to get outside and, and do something. That's sad considering with COVID that you would voluntarily... You go to a Nickelback. If it was just oh, shit, no I mask, <laughs> some, some cheap beer that costs $15, we'd miss it. <laughs> cheap beer. My God. Imagine what stadiums are going to charge for beer. <laughs> I don't know if it can get much higher. But today we are going to discuss specifically NFL draft busts. I'm not here to argue who is the biggest bust, who's not. We got a couple examples we want to talk about um, that we remember, I guess, we've talked about earlier, and compare them to individual stocks in that same year that flopped. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Yeah. I think just the preparation for this one uh alone was interesting to see the not even from the stocks just like arguing over <laughs> who should make the list who who should we discuss i mean uh i'm just so happy that like my dad growing up was a raiders fan i wish he was still alive just so i could just rag on jamarcus russell <laughs> which i will do throughout this entire podcast yes, i'm sure it's coming <laughs> What's better was Googling, what are they doing now? Because I had to make sure just to see what are they up to. And then I'm like, yeah, it's got to be a bust. Cause That's why we don't let Todd on the podcast. He's like, aren't they dead? I'm like, no, Todd, they just no. suck at football. Yeah, they're just, they're just not in the league. <laughs> um, all right, so where to begin? So I guess we could start in the draft class of 2007. You kind of gave, gave our listeners a little hint. Mr. Jamarcus Russell out of LSU. 6'6", <laughs> 260. He was projected one to two. Uh, his, his senior year is 68% completion rate, 3,000, a little over 3,000 yards, 28 touchdowns to eight interceptions and two rushing touchdowns. Mel Kuyper, Mr. Mel Kuyper, quote, will immediately re-energize Raider Nation. That's what he said about Jamarcus Russell. On oh, it re-energized. Comparison. His comparison with John Elway. You got to be kidding me. And good for Jamarcus Russell, $32 million guaranteed. If you're listening, we are taking on new members. <laughs> Depending on where that guaranteed money went, I don't know, with inflation, 2007. Hopefully he didn't pull an Allen Iverson. <laughs> could have. So obviously great stats at LSU, right? There were some red flags. They were talking about how he had heated competition with Matt Flynn, go Matt Flynn going into his junior year, where it was like, how could you be a top pick if you got competition with Matt Flynn? <laughs> what do you... LSU has produced some good quarterback talent, at least from, I mean, Joe Burrow to be determined, but I shouldn't say produced, but at least they produced at the collegiate level for LSU. So, um, and playing in the SEC, I can understand where at least some people got the impression that 
um, against those defenses, especially those Alabama defenses, why someone could thrive as an NFL quarterback in the SEC. But how many of them did thrive in the NFL? That's a whole nother podcast. I feel my like friend. I feel like <laughs> I feel like they've built they've built the quarterbacks into a system to be good at the college level, which we could talk about Jamarcus Russell. How they he could not he could not handle differentiating a cover two from who's blitzing. They had to tell him where to throw every play. Well, I think that goes back to not just Jamarcus Russell, but I think it's a an issue that the NFL has on a larger scale, and I think and we can equate that to what investors do as well they kind of get hung up on the concept of the importance of quarterback but they also get hung up on what translate and what doesn't translate i mean i think the number one thing that i took away from failed or busts from the nfl draft i mean they largely centered around the quarterback position and Um, i would to add to that real quick i think it's all based on potential which is where people get into trouble stock picking as well. When you're like, oh, I think if you're just basing it off potential, like if you look at Jamarcus Russell, he's 6'6", 260, he's got this arm strength, but you're not looking at all the other things in between. If you're just looking at the potential of a stock, you're going to get burnt. Well, not only are you going to get burnt, I mean, you're going to get burnt in the NFL or any, uh, it doesn't have to be the NFL draft, it can be any draft. I mean, certain ones, I think the NFL has a, a pedigree of the importance that the NFL draft has where other sports can rely more on um, free agency, um, hitting a diamond in the rough, especially when you have uh, something like 40-something rounds in the Major League Baseball draft. So there's a higher importance and a higher degree of um, not only the importance, but I would also say the um, opportunity cost when it comes to the NFL draft. I just uh, just now with only seven rounds and, and most people, I mean, I know everyone's going to refer to Tom Brady as a sixth-round pick, but I mean... That is literally a once-in-a-lifetime type of thing. Regardless if you went in the sixth round or first overall, it's a once-in-a-generation, uh, once-in-maybe-a-millennium <laughs> of a kind of talent. So, I mean, generally, if you're selected in the the last four rounds of the NFL draft, I mean, how much stock are we actually putting in you having a successful NFL career? Yeah, and talking about his NFL career, three-year, 52 completion percentage, 18 touchdowns, 23 interceptions, 25 fumbles. Think about that. Every time that man threw the ball, it was basically a coin flip. <laughs> Slightly better, but it was basically a coin flip. I mean, we get... Jamarcus, we need you on the air. Were you throwing with your eyes closed? <laughs> he thought everything was a blitz. <laughs> Give the man some credit. <laughs> but I, I want to touch upon something you said a little bit earlier about the potential, because I remember watching a video, I believe it was on YouTube or something like that. I could be mistaken, but he's on a knee. where he's on a knee, <laughs> he's taking one knee and he's on his own like goal line. And he threw the ball about what, what did it go? Like 80 to 90 yards, something insane. Maybe it wasn't that far. I'm probably exaggerating I'd that, like but, 60. but yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But on a but, knee, that's crazy. Yeah. I, I do know he probably could throw a ball 80, 90 yards if he actually, um, stepped into a throw i but mean we see that when these college athletes are just athletically so far superior than their competitors you can get away with it easily and mm-hmm. still be that much better i think the perfect example of that is Jameis winston i think Jameis winston as a quarterback had a lot of the physical attributes to succeed in the nfl today i just don't know if he had the I mean, he definitely had the drive and determination, I think. I just, but he just didn't have the discipline. I think you're just still mad he stole from your Publix. 
<laughs> well, I guess you could say that because I was in Gainesville at the time, so and working for public, so he was the enemy. <laughs> but those things cost a lot of money. Those crab legs. <laughs> I can't let him off the hook. <laughs> I mean, just and then the last we'll say about this is that draft class was. Filled. They got Calvin Johnson, Joe Thomas, Adrian Peterson, Patrick Willis, Marshawn Lynch, Darrell Revis, Revis Island, Joe Staley, John Beeson, Brandon Merriweather, Greg Olson, Eric Weddle. Some of these guys are still in the league. So you might want to stop while you're ahead because you're really depressing Raider Nation. I mean, these all these <laughs> names, and we could talk about when we can give him his stock comparison. You could look at all the other stocks you could have picked in the year of 2007. You basically are saying that Jamarcus Russell calls the stock market crash <laughs> later 2008, could 2009. Could have been a part of it. <laughs> I mean, usually when you see a bust in the NFL draft, you're like, man, that was, that was awful. But I mean, to realize that there was that much talent in that draft, I mean, that probably is going to go down as one of the, in, in the 2000s, in the, um, probably one of the top five draft class, I would say. So far, of the last twenty years, yeah, it's a really good draft class. I mean, I don't. I, I mean, I haven't looked at all of them, so I don't know where it would stack up. But I'd, I'd be hard pressed to find um, more than four or five that are better than it. So, I mean, that just goes to show is like not only did did the Raiders get it wrong, and this is kind of how investors feel. You get it wrong when so many others get it right. Just kind of ties back to what we try to teach all of our members here is you got to take the emotion out of it. Because one bad decision like that can detri- be detrimental to a portfolio, but you don't want to compound it. And, and that's what I feel like. I know the Raiders, for the longest time, they basically drafted track stars instead of actual football players. Mm-hmm. So it, it, that kind of was where the emotional part got tied in. They always looked for the supreme athlete, not the supreme football player. And I think Jamarcus Russell was just a string of bad decisions, unfortunately, uh, for the Raiders. So, drum roll for the stock market bust of 2007 <laughs> comparison. Ticker KKD. We'll give we'll give our listeners 10 seconds to try and maybe think of what KKD could be. You going to hit him with some knowledge here in a couple seconds? <laughs> KKD 2007. Krispy Kreme Donuts. <laughs> with a one-year return of negative 68.82%. You would think, the way Jamarcus Russell eats, that they would have been the top-performing stock of 2007. You would think that the way Americans eat, that a glazed donut <laughs> company would be the top-performing stock. So they went public in 2001 on the New York Stock Exchange. They they were trading at $50 per share in just two years. So they were, they were doing pretty well. Um, the, but the brand happened to be growing too fast. Um, they had their hands in a lot of different pots. So, you know, I mean, being from Connecticut, like I was explaining to you earlier, like I'm used, I was used to going with, I remember going with my uncle specifically to the Krispy Kreme shop. Like it had his own, and you, you can look in and they show you how the donuts get glazed and you come out fresh. They had like the timer. I remember the timer specifically. It tells you when the donuts were going to be fresh next. You can go pick them up hot. And then you just started getting them in the stores and it's cold and it's like, this isn't on brand with them. Like I'm used to the fresh. So because of all that, because they were growing so fast, they, they just kind of flopped 2007. So many foods do that though. It's like where you get, you build a brand, you build a following, almost a cult-like following. And then you're like, hey, how can we sell more of this by not necessarily selling them in the traditional way that we do? I mean, um, I remember when, 
I watched the, oh my God, what is it? Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. <laughs> and then that ridiculous movie. And then... The stock went up. <laughs> well, I, I had, I'd actually never had White Castle. I don't think and I then, um, I, I did go to Tennessee, uh, of course, as a you Titans fan. Castle? So I, I was like, I got to go. I got to know if this is actually better. And it's not. It's <laughs> <laughs> No offense to White Castle, but I wasn't the... It was a good burger, but no, not that. That's a different. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed the burger, but more importantly, I wasn't like overly thrilled with it. Uh, but the first time I actually tasted White Castle, I guess you can say, was one of those prepackaged uh, frozen aisle kind of like you get six in a box or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, this isn't this isn't a burger. Just I'd rather go get some ground beef, put it on the grill, be done with it. That would have been a better burger, but um, crispy. Cream fell victim to what I would say poor branding or poor marketing to a certain degree. Um, similar to how I think the Raiders overlooked um, the actual skill set of Jamarcus Russell. Right. And to paint the picture for 2007, if you were an investor, some of the top performing first solar, Crocs, shout out Todd. <laughs> The man that wears Crocs every day. And Amazon. But you'll find Amazon on the list throughout as we talk because they've just been killing it for that long. They were up over 100% just in 2007. Think of how many times it's doubled over the years. Double. double, It's been pretty impressive. But but let's get back on point because, I mean, like Crocs had a good quality performing year. But it'd be interesting to see how they've kind of either continued to trend or or at least figured out a way to um, see positive growth and other potential numbers within the performance of the company. But I think we need to go back to Krispy Kreme, not only because it's on our mind, but just to kind of how to, I think, analyze what went wrong because I think that's what some of the listeners would rather see is like, all right, what what went wrong? Wow, I can't even speak. What was going wrong with Krispy Kreme during that time frame? Because I think... If you're following this and you're a sports advocate, you knew exactly what went wrong with Jamarcus Russell. Unfiltered Underdogs is sponsored by Triangle Transitional Network, also known as TTN, a networking community based out of North Carolina that helps individuals find work through relationships. Go to www.trianglethechnet.com to learn more information about the facilitators and upcoming events. So they got um, in trouble for some accounting practices. Like I kind of Enron Light. <laughs> <laughs> this article kind of talks about the low carb craze of the early 2000s saying people, I don't know if I buy all that to being a, a large factor in the letdown of the stock. I mean, there's only so long people could take the Atkins diet. Right. I mean, it's a diet. How long is it actually going to last? And I Americans mean, love donuts. We can agree on that. You got to got to begin your day with Duncan. <laughs> There's a whole nother company has already got that branding on lockdown. <laughs> um, but, but let's touch upon for, for the listeners out there, uh, quickly. Um, what went wrong with Jamarcus Russell? Why don't you hit on a few things? I know what, what I want to, I want to see your, your take on what went wrong. Cause yeah, always talk about how he didn't, didn't want to do his homework. Like he just throughout, he didn't know how to read defenses and he, he I mean, to his credit, he didn't have to going through high school and college. You could just run around. There was this one – I was listening to this one video, and they were talking about the last um, the last drive in LSU versus Auburn, which is a close game his junior year, I guess. 
and Auburn was just playing a cover two, sitting back, and the coaches had to tell him after first down. They ran the same play three times because after first down, he threw the ball away when the running back was just coming out in a simple little route. And they were like, just throw the, dump it to the running back. So first down, incomplete, threw it away. Second, second play, second down, 20-yard gain. First down, the next play, 20-yard gain. He just didn't know how to read the defense. The coaches would have to tell him, hey, you have to throw the ball here. You can't do that in the NFL. But how did an NFL franchise not establish that? I understand that there was 31 franchises that didn't even get an opportunity to draft Jamarcus Russell. But you, I've known about the NFL draft process for years. I've been invested in, in it because I'm entertained by it. Um, I... Everyone keeps telling about the Wonderlick Wonderlick test or law, whatever the hell it's called, um, and people who've passed it with flying colors, like uh, what's his name, Ryan Fitzpatrick out of Harvard, or, or other people who have completely been an abomination when taking this thing. Not saying it's the only rubric to grade a quarterback or any prospect for that matter, but I mean, you would think that in an interview process now, especially now. I know John Gruden is ironically coaching the Oakland Raiders. Oh, no, the Las Vegas Raiders. My apologies. Um, but did you ever used to watch the Gruden QB camp things yeah, that on ESPN? Funny. Just the way he talks is hilarious. Oh, yeah. I was so entertained by those. I miss those days. Uh, he needs to let the Raiders franchise go and come yes. back to entertaining Agreed. the public on ESPN. Uh, Chucky, we need you. <laughs> um but I remember him basically browbeating Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston over a whiteboard, you know what I mean? And just literally is like, all right, I call it this, you call it that. Explain to me why. Like most people weren't as that much invested in the QB kind of whiteboard knowledge for that matter. Just trying to figure out, okay, what intellect or what understanding does the quarterback have of the game? But anybody watching those rooting QB camps would understand that you was like there was a difference between if you had Peyton Manning up there versus Jamarcus Russell. I mean, it'd be night and day that one could be the offensive coordinator and run an entire offense um, in his sleep versus the other one couldn't read a simple cover too. So how did an NFL franchise not understand what they were essentially getting? Well, I think they should have asked him to watch the tapes before they drafted him. Oh, my God. We're going there. <laughs> so for those listeners out there that don't understand that comment, so Jamarcus Russell um, was handed, what were they, like old cassettes? What did they give him? Cassettes, was Just, it? Just however back then, so long ago, back in 2007, <laughs> when they didn't have Netflix and it wasn't that popular, I mean, it was around. The ancient was, days of yeah, 2007. Whether it was a DVD or something <laughs> to tell him to go watch this film. And basically watched this film and uh, he came back and told the the coaches that he watched, uh, what was it, Blitz Packages? Blitz Packages. Yep. And then to find out, though, that the actual organization uh, handed him uh, blank CDs, blank cassettes. So there was nothing on there for him to actually watch. They just wanted to know if he was actually smart enough to tell them that, hey, these were completely empty. What did you give me this for? I couldn't study this. But instead, they knew that his work ethic and he would just straight up lie, which is sad to find out. That's um, kind of the reasons you got to cut ties, almost like with a stock. You can't get emotionally invested. If like as soon as I found out that was going to happen, I'd have been like, all right, there's, this is a sunken cost at this point. It, it's get out or I'm going to zero, essentially. 
I guess to the Raiders' credit, the draft class in the position of quarterback was not the strongest. They could have went with a, a, a Brady Quinn. Hey, at least he would have read blitz packages. <laughs> but, I don't have done him any good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's talk about that because I think people really out there want to know if we're going to evaluate an NFL franchise and critique them for drafting probably the one of the biggest busts. Um, well, let me make this comparison for you. They probably could have shopped elsewhere, figured out a way to maybe build up their defense and not get a quarterback, right? Like, yes, mm-hmm. every NFL. So for investors out there where you think you think and you really need, let's, for example, say I want a tech stock. But okay. the tech sector is, it's just not there. Right? It's not performing it's like not, it usually does. And you have um, Jamarcus Russell, Brady Quinn, Kevin Cobb, John Beck, Drew Stanton, Trent Edwards, Jeff Rowe, Troy Smith, Jordan Palmer, Tyler Thigpen were the quarterbacks in that draft. You could have stopped after the fourth one because people thought you were making up names. Hey, buddy, maybe you don't need a tech stock right now. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's the over-reliance. I would say that's the one comparison that differs. Between, and I'm not saying it actually differs from the market, but like most fans out there would realize that NFL franchises basically run on the QB position, and it's only gotten worse since Jamarcus Russell has been in the league and then since left the league. Like, if you think about it now. It's still happening. Yeah, because of, like, if you don't have an NFL franchise quarterback, you basically don't even have a shot of making the playoffs now, if you think about that. I mean, take the Cleveland Browns. I mean, they basically wagered multiple draft picks since Jamarcus Russell had um, was drafted many years, investing in what, four to five quarterbacks before they have finally settled on Baker Mayfield. And I'm personally not even continuously sold on Baker Mayfield. I still think it's a work in progress. It's not a refined, well-oiled machine. I mean, Baker Mayfield got them to the playoffs and decently far last year, but I don't even think, I mean, at the end of his rookie deal, there's a good chance that if he doesn't perform well in this next year, or if they give him a slight extension, he might not be with the franchise in two to three years. And that's Spe- fair. And Baker's all right. But like, you made a comment that teams would be struggling. What do you think of the Rams? you think Jared Goff's this, this Hall of Fame quarter? They built up their defense, they built up their D-line, and they built up their offensive line. But what I'm saying is, so I'm not... I mean, I think as a Titans routes. fan, I'm pretty gra- glad the Rams have Jared Goff. And we as a weren't Lions stuck. fan, I'm not happy we have Jared Goff. <laughs> Well, I, but think about it. So I think, take the Lions, for example, I think they've done an inadequate job. Oh, we're dropping of, the L word now. <laughs> but they've done an inadequate job of building around Matt Stafford. If you, We were talking about this earlier. They've had Matt Stafford and Calvin Johnson, and I mean, go back to the days of even Barry Sanders. They've had quality talent that they could build around an NFL top-notch caliber individual, and they haven't done it. And they have failed to do it. I put that more on the organization to find the surrounding pieces, which I personally think are much easier than finding the NFL franchise quarterback. Not saying Matt Stafford's a Hall of Famer by any stretch, but he is a very, very good quarterback, especially by today's standards. And he, yes, he had Calvin Johnson, but I mean, the man was always throwing 
to either catch up or throwing behind because most of the defenses he's played with, like he'd score a touchdown and then within 30 seconds, the Lions were giving up a touchdown. So he, I mean, not very often as an NFL franchise, you put up the points that he did throughout his career and you're playing from behind. So, but going back to what your comment about Goff, I think Jared Goff is a serviceable, above average, and in the right system, which I think McVay's system suited him extremely well, was light years ahead of whatever you would call Jamarcus Russell. I mean, whether you think Jared Goff is the most untalented individual, I hate to break it to you, but the man can read NFL defenses. He can make NFL throws. Jared Goff might not be a top five NFL quarterback, but he's a top 20, and that can get you to the playoffs, and that can win you playoff games. Not sure he can win you a championship, but you got to give the man credit. He still got to a Super Bowl. You know what else? Ryan Gosling was an absolute liability at cornerback in Remember the Titans. <laughs> and he looks way too much like him, and we just can't trust that. <laughs> Well, maybe you hire Ryan Gosling as your quarterback instead of Jared Goff. <laughs> Let's get into number two. Second bust on the list. Trent Richardson, running back, Alabama, class of 2012. Had comparisons to Adrian Peterson. Dude's stocky, 5'11", 225. His Alabama strength conditioning coach was always praising what he could do in the weight room. He benched like 475, squatted over 600 pounds. It doesn't help when you're running in your own lineman, but <laughs> in 2011, his last season with Alabama had 283 rushes for about 1,700 yards, average about six yards a carry. I mean, behind that off- offensive line, you and I could run six yards a carry, but 21 <laughs> touchdowns. So that that was his, were his stats. He went, I believe, top five. Yeah, I think he was. Well, he went went to the Browns. He's got to be a top five pick. I would something. The number three is ringing a bell here. I'm not well, as you're looking that up though, but it, I think the same thing falls true. There, there's a similarity already between uh, Trent and Jamarcus in the sense that they are physical specimens that are just athletic freaks of nature. I mean, regardless, I mean, there's offensive linemen I bet you out there that can't. If you if that is accurate that he could bench 475, I mean, I would, and I'm saying like legitimately rep 475 a couple times. There's not many NFL players that could probably. I don't think there's a single wide receiver or or cornerback in the league that could do that. Uh, I mean, hell, uh, I mean, I mean he, he he he's out there on an island. Talk about Daryl Revis and Revis Island. I mean, he's on an island of genetic freaks by himself. I mean, you would think that a running back with that kind of power, that kind of speed and tenacity, could thrive in the NFL. Um, but I think a lot of what Trent struggled with was understanding, hey, the game isn't just about hand me the ball and go run like it was in college. And I'm not saying that his college coaches or the college game isn't structured in a way where you still have to um, understand how to play football, but you can get away, as you mentioned earlier, you can get away with a lot more in college than you can in the pros. Yeah, dude was a beast. Four, five, 40. 25 reps on the bench press, and yeah, he went third overall. So yes, physically, I got it right. Again, in college, <laughs> far superior than most of the competition. Yeah, and like you said, it doesn't hurt. I mean, I mean, a good yards per carry in the NFL is like 
It's a good solid yards per carry. You and I could have averaged that behind that O-line in Alabama. Hell, you could have let us start six yards behind the line of scrimmage with a running start, and we probably could have averaged five. I mean, it's not fair. It's like watching Derrick Henry these days, where it's like if you make contact with Derrick Henry two to three yards beyond the line of scrimmage, you know you're giving up an eight-yard game because the man's going to like at least knock you back an extra yard or two and then fall forward because he's so huge. Yeah. And, I mean, that's what people were expecting with Trent Richardson. Side note, his offseason workouts are crazy. <laughs> oh, my God, I saw side, those as a Titans fan. It's a sidebar. Dude, but but give him credit because you went back to the high school and I think if you're out there and you're listening to kind of understand the athletic nature that we're talking about is he rushed for 4,000 yards, four consecutive seasons in high school. You think the stiff arms you see at the at the pro level of Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry was eating your children in high school. <laughs> that man was a monster. Because he was, I mean, what is he, 6'2", six, 6'3"? Six, I remember, like, they're, they're showing film of him. At, at, what is it? He went to school in Jacksonville, I believe. Something like that, yeah. I think one of his first games in high school, he, he just takes a, a quick um, handoff off to the left, off the left uh, guard, between the left guard and tackle, and it ends up being an, a, it ends up being a touchdown. And I, I, I swear that all I remember is someone trying to tackle him at the legs um some poor cornerback and got dragged for like 20 yards until he just kind of fell off i mean i mean no offense to derrick henry because i mean what he's done at the nfl level is completely incredible and he is a gifted not only athlete but a gifted footballer but he didn't have to be a gifted footballer he was and credit to him but he did not have to be a gifted footballer in high school, he was just so much more powerful and so much more gifted that it just the word potential just kind of almost spews from everybody's mouth. Right. Getting back to Trent Richardson and his comparison. So I think we could say for Trent Richardson, he got to a point because he had a decent rookie year, right? And then for whatever reason, I'd like to talk about increased competition and just the lack of improvement. And we also see that in the stock market all the time. We see these companies that have passed their growth stage they're starting to mature but they're not being as innovative as they once were and they got all this increased competition and all of a sudden they're not valued as much as they previously were because of this competition eating now at their revenue yeah it's like ipoing with a head start it's like it's almost like a SPACs today if you think about it it's just like you don't know what the company's gonna buy you just know it's gonna merge and you think it's gonna be this home run and and i mean that's kind of it's SPACs are all based on pure speculation is almost like an NFL player going on pure potential, which we've been discussing about the Trent Richardson and Jamarcus Russell. But I think the important thing to note is if you would have done your homework, and and, and I use that word homework, it's kind of funny. We, we, uh, we're all rereading the book, uh, one of Kramer's books. And interestingly enough, he talks about do your homework. Don't get caught... Uh, basically with your pants down, do your homework so you don't find yourselves in difficult situations. And I think the funny thing is the Oakland Raiders did their homework just two years into having Jamarcus Russell as their quarterback. Had they done that homework like they should have at the NFL draft, I don't think they take a quarterback. 
And who knows what that franchise looks like? Because I, I think there's been a few franchises out there that have passed on even with a need of a quarterback just because the talent did not match what they needed and they figured all figured all out that it was better to take top tier talent at other positions and wait to a more feasible draft where there is actually a true plethora of good quality talent. I mean, what is it? The 1986 draft, I think it is, where like four Hall of Fame quarterbacks went. Yeah. All I'm saying is whether I have the year right or or whatever, or even five or six went in that first round, uh, top notch. It was whatever Marino's draft was. Um, uh, I could have the year wrong. Um, but the important thing is, like those draft classes with such an important position as the quarterback, they don't come around that often. You're not usually picking from top-notch quarterback like even take when Johnny Manziel another considered bust was taken is I understand the Cleveland Browns were desperate for a quarterback but every single one of their fans kind of knew it deep down and inside that we took a dramatic reach to take him at 22 overall in that first round you keep seeing it that's the thing is you think every year people would learn and everyone thinks they got this home run pick everyone thinks they've done their homework i guess but but i would go back to what we kind of seen here and when people have brought us portfolios and said oh i've done my homework but then you realize well what was your homework and then you dive into the homework and and it's also ongoing it doesn't end correct and that's what most people think that that is probably one of the hugest testaments to the analogy that we're trying to make it's if you do your homework as an nfl franchise and you say this person is right to move us forward you're constantly doing homework but you're not doing the homework to say hey is this person right anymore it's how does this continue to fit the franchise's system in order to get us the desired result which is winning games and hopefully a super bowl school's not out we don't get a summer break the homework keeps going. Yeah, I mean, take Bill Belichick, one of the greatest coaches, and I know regardless of what people say that he, he only did it because he had Brady. But, I mean, Tom Brady has even alluded to the fact that one of the reasons he wanted to move on from the Patriots is there was no offseason. Bill Belichick is infamous for the day that the New England Patriots season ends, the next one begins. You see guys all the time. A lot of players hate that, and they want to go elsewhere, and then you figure out, what are they doing there? Well, whatever they're doing is working and they're mastering their craft, but not every player wants that. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I think one of the reasons we were doing this podcast is kind of allude to the nature of the the due diligence that one has to do. I, I think it's interesting that we have had many members come through our doors who originally were do-it-yourself investors. And then as that progression over time and three, four, five years into it, they're like, I enjoy this to a certain element but now life has kind of come back full circle now i've got kids Uh, my marriage is at a place where we want to do things as husband and wife that we need more free time to do it i have career ambitions that are taking me um that i need to prioritize my time there's only so much time in a day and you're hitting it every time it's time how much time it takes to do it how much do you value the time put for the people that enjoy researching stocks and in, in three in, it's almost like a hobby to them sure mm-hmm. you could probably manage everything by yourself if you enjoy doing that but i think it's a vast minority especially as life gets more complicated and more things happen 
and exactly, if you're not willing to do the homework, find a organization or specifically a financial advisor that is willing to do it. (laughs) Who needed somebody else to do it. God, the number of uh, um, financial institutions that crossed my head to, to, to create an analogy between the <laughs> Oakland Raiders and that. <laughs> I've been calling everybody out. The, the Lions at that matter, but they'd be a def- at a business hedge fund. So, <laughs> um, But getting back to it, I guess, for Trent Richardson's comparison, we went with Electronic Arts. For those of you who don't know, Electronic Arts, maker of video game Madden. So in 2012, year of Trent Richardson's draft class, they were down about 20%. In the red, um, they had been trading in the 50s in the late 2000s, but that's why his comparison here to Trent Richardson, due to rising competition from Activision Blizzard, most notably known for Call of Duty, a lot of other franchises, um, their annual revenue was not growing at consistent levels. I thought this was kind of funny. I didn't even know this was a thing. Um, the Consumerist, I guess it's a piece of literature you can read yes. online, labeled them in 2012 the worst company in America. I didn't know that was <laughs> award we an award we gave out, but. So- <laughs> if we give out Darwin awards, there's awards for anything <laughs> these days. Um, but l- let's talk about EA because I used to um, live in, in Orlando, Florida, and I don't know if it's their headquarters or one of their secondary locations, but I remember on my way to work, uh, I would see uh, EA, one of their office locations, and, and being someone who has actually purchased uh, Madden many times, even though they barely changed the game, which that's a whole nother podcast and debate going. Um, the amount of money that people sink into that video game year in and year out um, with minor to, to little to no changes mm-hmm. um, is incredible. But it's surprising, and it kind of goes to show how poorly I think the company was run, the management. Uh, I mean, anything. You can go to the back office, to their financials, how poorly it was run, all the way up to the CEO or anywhere down to to the low-level employees. That just It just didn't seem like anything that company was doing was operating with any level of efficiency because you would think, and I remember these times vividly because being a video game um, sports fanatic, I enjoyed the, the college, the NCAA college games. I, I enjoyed... Um, MLB the show, uh, but even before that, their competition was MVP baseball, which some people, uh, a lot of baseball fanatics out there will tell you, MVP baseball 2005, I think it was, with Manny Ramirez on the cover of it, was considered one of the best baseball games to to ever be created, and I think it was 2006 was the first time we saw MLB the show uh, in its more kind of current format and it largely what EA did at that point is they got the licensing rights to many of the major organizations and um, like MLB and, and the NFL and they basically stopped other people from producing games because no one wanted to play a sports game if I couldn't play as um, people like Jamarcus Russell. Right, and that's what <laughs> in EA there's no other way to put it than in 2012 Electronic Arts they were in a lot of shit. They had controversy involving acquisitions of companies and anti-consumer practices with some of their games. They had class action lawsuits for having employees, some of the game makers, work 100-hour work weeks. Um, And then obviously they were also getting sued for using the unauthorized likeness of a lot of athletes, both college and professional. They ended up owing Jim Brown like $600,000 in a lawsuit because they they, they had an exclusive right with the NFL, but then they took it to court and didn't go so well for them. 
not much went well for EA. And I mean, part of the reason I still think they're they're afloat and have a chance of success is because the one thing that EA did extremely well was create those licensing agreements. Yeah, they've come back. They're still around. They didn't go defunct. They're still back. They're still competing. Um, But in this year, at this time, they were in a struggle. But I think it was a struggle that if you were an investor, kind of the reason we are looking at Trent Richardson versus EA in this situation was there was still a lot to like. I think Trent Richardson, it was more than just Jamarcus Russell and potential. There were things that he could do on a football field as a football player. The problem was enough of it wasn't there. And the homework would have told you that. And the homework would have also told you that about EA. The class action lawsuit lawsuit should have been a huge red flag. You also could have looked at the, the declining revenue. You could have looked at um, just a n- numerous things uh, just that, that, that they've done. And I know everything we talked about didn't all culminate and happen in 2007, but there was enough red flags not only in 2007, but in other years as well that that is not a stock that I would have wanted in my portfolio. Whether it was in 2007, thereafter, there wasn't, there, there's so many stocks out there, kind of like there's hundreds of NFL players to choose from. You don't have to pigeonhole in yourself into something just purely based on potential or purely based on the story. And I think one of the things that we do here, and as we're reflecting upon the portfolio performance with members is helping them understand why we chose such company and why sometimes we're not always right, but we go into it saying, here are the fundamentals that we like. Here's the story why we like this. And when those things change, there is no bias. There is no emotion built into it is if it doesn't hold up to what we originally bought in for. Get the hell out. Exactly. And I think one of the things that we see NFL franchises do is... Shoot, I gave them a lot of millions of dollars guaranteed. We should probably... uh... Hang on to them. The only reason you see cutting of ties of Trent Richardson and, and Jamarcus Russell and things like that was because once you realize it's gone so bad, the only thing a GM kind of figures out is... The salary cap. If there wasn't a salary cap, I think these dilemmas would have hung around a lot longer. It's just because the way the NFL is structured with a salary cap and you need to create salary cap room, you can't keep a Jamarcus Russell on the books and expect to thrive as an organization when you have that much, forget about dead money against the cap, just wasted money sitting on the sideline. You couldn't pay Jamarcus Russell to be a backup. You were more effective paying some collegiate quarterback drafted in the seventh round to be your backup because he was going to produce the exact same thing Jamarcus Russell would as a backup, but he wasn't going to cost you twenty plus million a year. And so some some better performing stocks in twenty twelve that if you didn't go with EA, uh, Sprint <laughs> Nextel up one hundred and forty percent, Marriott the hotel chain was up one hundred and forty one percent. And Regeneron Pharmaceuticals was up 209%. So there was there was a lot of other opportunity in the market. And we can even go back into Trent Richardson's draft class. So he was picked after that was the year of the Luck versus Griffin mm-hmm. debate. So he was right after them. But then Matt Khalil, Luke Keekley, he was out of the league, but probably even a Hall of Fame linebacker. Stephen Gilmore, Don Terry Poe, Fletcher Cox, Melvin Ingram, Chandler Jones, Dante Hightower, 
Doug Martin, running back, Alshon Jeffrey, Bobby Wagner, Levante David, now a Super Bowl champion. Lots of names on Russell Wilson was later on in this draft. I mean, you're mentioning a lot of quality NFL talent there. And I want to point something out there. So when you're evaluating stocks, equated to looking at different positions in the NFL, that I think way too many people, when doing their homework, get caught up in looking at tech. I would equate tech to the quarterback position. It is the fanciest. It is usually has the most potential. Highest it's usually reward. what you hear. Highest risk reward. Yeah. And and the, the thing is, so many people are always looking for that Tom Brady, that diamond in the rough in the sixth round. Um, but the problem is, you can only draft Brady and call it a diamond in the rough once. Because mm-hmm. if he was existing that many times in the sixth round, it wouldn't be a hidden gem anymore. It wouldn't be in the sixth round. Um, but exactly. And the important thing that is so many people try to take that level of a draft pick, regardless of how bad NFL experts got Tom Brady wrong, it doesn't mean that you take that level of due diligence and move it up to the first round. It's just the pure opposite, but ironically and counterintuitive to what many investors out there, that's exactly what they do. They draft the the quarterback who has the potential but should be going in the sixth round if they did their homework correctly and they can ju- and they're trying to justify it because it's in tech or it's in pharmaceuticals or it's in some part of the market that is moving at a much quicker pace than the rest of it. And I think more people have to understand when you're designing a portfolio, you can't design an entire portfolio of tech and expect to succeed. Just like you can't draft 53 quarterbacks and expect to have a Super Bowl winning. I don't care. You can duplicate Tom Brady 53 times. There is no way that man can play another position in the NFL. And I think to make a comparison, we've given Jim Cramer another shout-out. We gave him a shout-out earlier. But in the book, he talks about having – it's healthy to have a small percentage of your portfolio in speculation, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what the Patriots – they already had Drew Bledsoe, right? It was later on in the draft, and they made a speculative pick, and that stock went through the roof to the moon. But there was little to no risk with it. Exactly. That was the best part is you could take the speculative – if you're taking – one-tenth of a percent of your portfolio and you're dumping that into the hidden gem in the sixth round, okay, let's say for 10 consecutive years you fail, but then you hit one and it's a 6,000 plus multiplier, you're going to make all of that money that you sunk into those hidden gems and then some. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that you can hit it once out of maybe 500 times. Well, let's look at it as a true investment. So Tom Brady's first contract was a three-year deal for $864,000. He wasn't even in the millions. Comparatively to when we talked about Jamarcus Russell. So that's when we talk about a a small part of your portfolio, which he was a very small part of that 53-man team roster, right? Is that even league minimum? Nowadays, probably not. You're telling me they paid that man for three years. Less than a million dollars. And at that point, during that contract, he was a Super Bowl champion. So segueing to a teaser for another bonus, wait till we get to Bobby Bonilla Day. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Like, I, I, I never I never bothered to look up his first contract. That is insane to realize that the Oakland Raiders, at the time, 
paid Jamarcus Russell $32 million, even if he just, well, did exactly what he did, just suck. <laughs> Versus, think of your portfolio, $32 million out of whatever the cap is for an NFL team. If you had that much money in one player, that much money in one stock, the risk-reward that you're putting into one athlete. I don't even reckon. I mean, think about what Tesla has done recently. You're not taking... 17, 18% of whatever it is, because I don't, I think it's like a hundred and could be wrong, dude. Tesla's what? I, I, not the Tesla. I'm thinking that um, the the NFL salary cap, I'm thinking it's well, now 172 million. 2021. That's true. We got to look at it the year that he, the salary cap in 2012, because now it's 172 million. I think it is. So I couldn't. I can actually go back and look. Oh, it only goes back to 2011, at least this tracker. So if I was if I'm right that this year the salary cap is 172 million and you go back and you take his 32 million Darren guarantee what is it 182.5 million is the cap even though he was guaranteed 32 million what was his average annual salary Unfiltered Underdogs is also brought to you by Family Legacy Financial Solutions with a 95% retention rate among members, this will be the last introductory meeting you'll ever need to have with a financial advisor. Family Legacy Financial Solutions. Life's journey begins and ends with family. Call 919-379-9000 to set up a complimentary consultation. Actually, Jamarcus Russell's contract was one that like really set the standard for the quarterbacks. That's why, like, after him, Matt Stafford in 2009 had the highest contract. He set the standard for it. So he put it this way: I have known friends of and family members who have been Bears fans. Do you understand that Jamarcus Russell makes Jay Cutler look like a god? Yeah, so his base salary in 2007. Three million. Okay, so that's not bad, but it's 32 million guaranteed. So what was the entirety of? Right. So his average salary was 10 million. Okay, so it's less than what I thought because there's a lot guaranteed. You're looking at so. Let's see. And you said it was 181 and a half million. So it's actually only five and a half, which honestly. Which honestly isn't bad. That's in today's dollars. Isn't bad. That's in today's dollars. Oh, I thought you gave me the. So look up the 2012 because I was going to say, you're right. In today's dollars, a $10 million quarterback being at 5.5% of your um, entire salary cap isn't bad. I, w I was shocked. I, when you gave me the number 181.5, I was kind of like, oh. All right, this changes things a little bit. This is the 2006 salary cap. With okay, so so he was made. So wait, wait. So he was drafted when 2007. Okay, so let's just use that. So you're talking about, yeah, you're talking about almost 11 percent, which is where I thought it would be. Is somewhere between 10 and 20 percent. But you also got to remember, there's a dead cap amount that has to affect that salary. Because if they do cut him like they did, because yeah. there's no way I don't think he played out that contract. No, he did not. It was six years. Yeah, which 
that goes to show it's, at some point that gets uh, I mean it's it's for the forward cap so you also have to look at who is the next quarterback for Oakland because now you have to take that salary and then add to the dead cap space which I'm assuming that next quarterback wasn't that much better this should be funny I'm <laughs> laughing as I google it <laughs> why am I drawing a blank I, I, I mean Yeah, who the hell was the quarterback? Either way, who the point that is a better question. Way, who cares <laughs> exactly. is a better question. <laughs> At least Jamarcus <laughs> Russell is known. Yeah, Jamarcus Russell. So, is known. yeah. But I wouldn't so, take 10% of anyone's portfolio or 11% because I think that's what the number came out to be and, and dump that in to any one individual stock. Especially when it's not proven. Like, think about what a yeah. rate would be in terms of a stock. That's a young, high-growth P ratio off off the roof. Yeah. Like, Everything. I remember Tesla not too long ago when we talk about P.E., price-to-earnings ratio. Um, well, they were negative. Oh, my God. Who was the quarterback? So, 2007, they had three that ended up playing. That was Jamarcus Russell's rookie year. One was Josh McCown. You'll never guess. So, one was Josh McCown. Oh, my God. He's still in the Dante Not Cole even him, the other one. On the Dante Culpepper was on the Raiders in 2007. I would have rather extended. When did Culpepper retire? Because I would have rather extended him. I guess after that, because in 2008, he wasn't on the roster anymore. So who? So let's, because this is fun, since we're gone down this rabbit hole. Let's look up who. Oh, wow. That had to be before. That was before. That, yeah, I was going to say. Oh, man, I hated that year. Yeah. When the Tampa won, when when Tampa beat the Raiders, yeah, that was when um, Oakland beat Tennessee. <laughs> they beat them in the AFC Championship. That's when Gruden was. Yeah, but he was coaching Tampa, not Oakland. That's kind of funny how that came full circle. Um, so like, we talk uh, where I was going with the PE conversation was. Tesla, which is an unproven company until just recently when they started turning a profit here. But if you look at their uh, price to earnings ratio, I mean, their earnings ratio for the longest time was negative. And a lot of competition. They're they're even now losing market share. Uh, but the, the stock is performing like wildfire and it's probably going to like a Bitcoin or something. It's overspeculated and can come back to, to bite many investors in the butt. So I think the point that we're trying to make is not saying that you can't own Tesla or not take that risk because like we said before, a certain amount of speculation is fine and needed inside of the portfolio. I'm just not dumping 11% of my money. There is a risk-reward ratio for every decision. Mm -hmm. Crossing the street, for instance. I know it sounds absolutely nuts or asinine, but... Think about putting your money into something, your future of whatever financial goals you may have into something super speculative that is not yet proven. And just I mean, it's a different story if you're going to dump a considerable amount of money into an investment, but if that money is never needed. Like, let's say, and I think this is something that our listeners would be interested to learn about, is if you're a 65-year-old retired couple that has a million and a half, two million dollars to your name with pensions and social security already put on and the odds of you drawing down your income or drawing <laughs> put it all on Tesla. We can't recommend. Remember, now we got to throw a disclosure. Thanks, man. Unsolicited. Unsolicited. Um, 
it's a different game. Not saying you need to take that risk. You're probably in a preservation of capital, but I'm just using this to illustrate a point that somebody in that nature can risk a certain amount of their portfolio if they never end up anticipating needing it. You, like, um, I think we were having the conversation about one of your family members who has a certain amount of money that's sitting in bonds, but doesn't ever anticipate ever needing it. It's just going to flow from uh, that generation onto the next or even potentially uh, your generation. So when you have a time horizon for a set of, uh, of dollars that is pretty long, you can speculate with a little bit of more of it. Or especially if you are the, the owner of such money and you never anticipate in your lifetime ever using those dollars, you can do something different with it than someone who's sitting in their mid-40s to mid-50s who's still trying to earn their way and save and invest money to hit retirement goals. You can't be a fiduciary, something that we definitely on the show need to talk about and the responsibility that an advisor has and then offer up a piece of advice to take such an unnecessary level of speculation and expect that to have a positive outcome more often than it uh, more often than not. So let's touch upon uh, number three. Number three. Your favorite. Your favorite. Third overall pick in the 2006 NFL draft. His junior year at 65% completion rate, over 3,000 yards, 26 touchdowns. And let's be honest, the dude was an absolute stud when they took down U.S. I remember the run to the to the right pylon in that game. Yeah, we are. talking about Vince Young. This was bittersweet. Because actually, you said it before, I'm, this was the Jay Cutler year, I think. Yes. This was, uh, even though you said it earlier, and the reason I remember that, I was actually at my eye doctor, Dr. Weston, if you're actually listening out there, miraculously, uh, missed uh, missed that. Uh, But I was actually at the eye doctor the following day after they were recapping the NFL, uh, uh, the draft, and I'll never forget that I'm pretty sure Young went one. Did Jay Cutler go Liner went one. I'm sorry. Liner went one. Vince Young went three, and then Matt, uh, and then Jay Cutler went tenth, I believe. And I remember that, and I was just like, I was disappointed initially with Vince Young, and people remember me. Now I would have been wrong either way, because my stock was in um, Matt Liner, who went one overall. Yeah. So Matt Liner went ten. Oh, ten. Cardinals. 10th overall. Jay Cutler, Jay Cutler went 11 to the Denver Broncos. This is when Mario went Oh, okay. First. Reggie Bush went That's right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. I knew Lions, someone went 10. And the Lions drafted Ernie Sims at 9. We need to make a show about uh, uh, the unfortunate demise of the Detroit Lions. And I think you can call it a curse. I think you can call it a curse. I don't know if it's a demise. I guess you can't call it demise because they were never on top. Correct. One of four teams that make the Super Bowl. Uh, you can't have a fall from grace if you don't know what grace looks like. <laughs> you just add Unfortunately, perpetually. Um, We'd be off the stock exchange. The New York, I mean, sorry, the New York. The Detroit Lions were delisted from the, the New York Stock Exchange. You need the soccer rules where you demote the bottom three teams. 
get someone from the XFL now that The Rock's bringing it back. Just Let Vince McMahon run that organization for a little and see what to, see what shit show that turns. More entertaining than a Lions game on Thanksgiving. At least we can have a halftime show with some WWE wrestling. Oh, my God. We found a way to incorporate the XFL into this conversation. Coming back. Yeah, Vince Young. <laughs> Jamarcus Russell, is it? Yeah, Vince Young. <laughs> but Vince, you know, Vince Young had a couple good years his first two years. I think he had a winning season. Either well, certain Titans fans actually argue and, and about is Vin, is Vince Young an actual bust? And and some say obviously yes, and some say no. But I'm in the category that he is a bust. I think for where we took him, the amount of money we invested into him. Um, I will say the organization has never been keen in continuing to this very day that they do not do a good enough job of putting enough weapons around any freaking quarterback. I'm still disgusted with that. No offense to Josh Reynolds, who I actually like as a receiver right now. Um, but And A.J. Brown is a stud, and I'm so happy he's on the team. But to watch Corey Davis and Jonu Smith walk out the door reminds me when Drew Bennett was the number one wide receiver. No offense to Drew Bennett. The man could ball, but in his very best year, he was a low-tier number two wide receiver. He was not a number one receiver in the NFL. No offense to him. He just wasn't. And that's the level of wide receivers. So I'm kind of making the counter-argument as to why people say Vince, Vince Young wasn't a bust in that essence. But I still think he was just because... I never looked at the Titans drafting him to be a pure pocket passer, and I think he was determined, almost like Tim Tebow was, to be a pocket passer, to prove to the world that he could throw from the pocket when it's the same argument that as Titans fan that I know is whether it was Jake Locker or subsequently after that, Marcus Mariota. <laughs> Talk about another friggin' bust, another first-round debacle. Um, hell, he could have been a better question of a bust than Vince Young. But but there's a parallel between all three that this organization or the coaches who have up until recent where we had Tannehill and the latter stages um, under Rabel for Mariota, someone finally understood that you can't take a mobile quarterback and expect them to decrease the amount of running that they do and and just all of a sudden be a better pocket passer. It's just not going to happen. That's like buying a stock and saying, why does my growth stock not pay a dividend? Well, it's designed to grow. It's taking that money and instead of keeping it as retained earnings, or sorry, keeping it as retained earnings and reinvesting it is what you want it to do so the stock price continues to grow as the earnings multiple continues to grow versus paying you a dividend. If you want a dividend stock, Go buy, a, go buy a Con Ed, go buy a Duke, go buy something that is a utility company that has low growth potential but is a complete value play. And I think sometimes people get confused between value blend and growth as the Titans have gotten confused between a running quarterback and a passing quarterback because I don't care if it's Mariota Locker or uh, Vince Young. I don't think any one of them had a better than a 58% completion percentage. 
we're never bringing them all variables too, and I think yeah. it's important to also illustrate bus are that people can think they're bus. Bus are subjective. Bus, people so can think there's nothing subjective about Jamarcus Russell. So I told you I was going to bash on the Raiders. It's tough though because there are also so many other factors. Like if with poor coaching and poor teammates and poor chemistry, but we put it on one guy who got drafted and made all these millions of dollars, but that's just which is the. I mean, yes, more ownership needs to be put on the actual ownership and the management of these organizations because they're the ones that are at fault. And I'm not saying that an organization should be faulted because they didn't get every single pick correctly, but I think there are some glaring ones, and that's what we brought up in this conversation. Million-dollar mistakes are... Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know of a single Raiders fan or NFL fan, for that matter, that can defend... Drafting Jamarcus Russell where they did. I, I don't think anybody can because I think the information that has since leaked and come out to the to the general public um, about the the cassette tapes or whatever the CDs and and the blitz packages to to just his inability and needing to be literally handheld through a collegiate game as to where to detail and throw the ball. It's like literally playing Madden and telling him he's only allowed to press the freaking A button. That is literally the the unfortunate circumstance that LSU and the Raiders put themselves in when giving him the opportunity to run the offense. And and and, and to expect the interesting thing and this is where no matter how bad Jamarcus Russell is and yes, he is considered a bust but there is more of a dilemma, or at least I have a bigger issue with the franchise than I do the player. And, and I think if you can look at a stock analysis in the same way, don't blame the stock for your poor homework. The hardest thing in investing, especially as a do-it-yourself investor, as a mutual fund manager, or somebody out there looking to get into investing, you're going to make mistakes but you have to be able to look in the mirror and hold yourself accountable and say, I can't make this mistake again. Um, and I'm not saying the Raiders made another glaring mistake as bad as Jamarcus Russell, but they have made plenty of NFL draft mistakes. And I think Al Davis, rest, rest in peace, rest his soul. But I think it's better now that his son is in charge. And then there is some other form of leadership for the Las Vegas Raiders that is really taking control of the draft because I think they're going to see better results moving forward. And I think the whole franchise is just hoping for that because, once again, no offense to Al Davis, but I think he was enamored by potential rather than actually doing his homework. So note to all investors and any NFL GMs listening to our podcast, do your homework, understand risk-reward, diversify your portfolio, whether it's individual stocks or your players and how you're going to break apart your salary cap this year and moving forward, but it essentially is. I mean, these teams are running a business. Trying to be profitable, trying to win, but trying to make sure that their dollars are being maximized as our investors are trying to maximize, whether it's their retirement portfolio, whether it's a non-qualified investment portfolio to put a down payment on a house, whatever it is. And I appreciate you saying that, but one thing that I want to bring up back to a sports analogy just to kind of hopefully bring this conversation full circle is I'm going to use my team, the Tennessee Titans, here as a perfect example. As a fan, it is very hard, and same thing as an, invest, an investor, to remove the emotional component from what your favorite organization or from what your portfolio is currently doing. I don't care who you are. I don't care how great you are. 
at investing, there's always a certain form of bias. It exists at every level. And I will parallel that by saying that even, even I fell victim to it. So I had to take a deeper dive into what John Robinson, the current uh, GM for the Tennessee Titans, is currently doing. Because all I looked at, because I think we were on a business trip, and I just so happened to check in with what was going on, and I didn't see the signing of Bud Dupree, even though I'm still, some of the numbers are still leaking. I'm not the biggest fan of the move. Uh, but I understand the dire need that the Tennessee Titans with, I mean, something like 16 sacks. So I understand getting pressure on the quarterback is now a vital component. So I get why he made that move. But I think the harder pill for me to swallow as a fan where I got emotionally invested was we had cut like eight freaking players that were starters. And people are like, oh, the Tennessee Titans are going to be potentially AFC South champions. I'm like, whoa, it's too soon to crown any I don't care what organization you are to crown them the future um, champions of such division I mean that's why the game is actually played on Sunday but where I'm going with this was it was a hard pill to swallow to see Kenny Vaccaro Malcolm Butler uh, Jayon Brown who they uh, who they brought back but um, the right tackle uh, I mean you just just players lost like that I mean Jadavian Clowney obviously hasn't resigned Daquan Jones hasn't resigned Jonu Smith was let go Corey Davis was uh, was let go and I'm just kind of thinking I'm like how do you replace that talent now when I looked into the signings they weren't fancy or glamorous names but when I looked at the production and for the and for the amount of money that the Tennessee Titans invested in these players, I was like, and I understand, and this goes this holds true for not only NFL production moving forward or any sport for that matter, but also investment. Uh, past performance is not an indication of future performance as well, but it at least is a starting point to make a decision or do your homework on and when I looked at who the Tennessee Titans signed in free agency and I looked at their past performance and for the money that they were paying that group of players I kind of looked at John Robinson I was like all right I see what he's doing he's trying to almost like the Oakland Raiders and playing money ball here he's like how can I recreate that or even better ROI for the players that I'm going to put on the field so I can give myself cap flexibility by making a trade potentially in the NFL draft or more importantly where I looked I said I got to look forward thinking like you have to with stocks I think the Tennessee Titans are extremely prepared and extremely set up well for 2022 NFL free agency (laughs) now I could be wrong and and John Robinson could be another uh goof I guess you could say for a lack of a better phrase and and go down the rabbit hole that that most franchises do um and just kind of overspend in free agency um but I think he's being strategic and he's being very wise like I think bringing back Jayon Brown on a one-year contract that's like all of a sudden going and buying that under undervalued utility stock that needs to be in there and I'm not saying Jayon Brown doesn't have upside potential but because he's coming off of an injury but you're gonna get stable level of production from him I think that's the value in which you can equate from the NFL draft or NFL free agency for that matter and what a organization wants to do because same thing in the NFL free agency the draft it all comes back to what are you trying to accomplish 
when you're out there speculating on a stock similar to taking a high value or a high risk a high reward potential nfl prospect it's something that doesn't make sense into the overall portfolio and i think you have to look at what else are you doing what else is working in the portfolio what else is not working and how do i take the emotion as much as it's difficult and almost impossible but how can i be the best version of myself to take out that emotion to make the wisest decision possible I think that's a wrap. Trent Richardson, Marcus Russell, Vince Young. You wish you the best, but you were underperforming as there were some stocks that we listed. And um, some of them came back, some didn't. But hope you like the comparison. Hope you like the message. We'll be, we'll be doing some things similar to this. I think the Bobby Bonilla contract is on the list. It is. But uh, for the listeners out there, as the final wrap, I think uh, – Joey will leave you a little bit of comments into what are the three of them doing with their lives right now? So <laughs> he's going to do his homework for you guys, and he's going to let you know uh, uh, since Vince Young is no longer uh, a coach at the University of Texas, uh, he's going to tell you what supermarket he works sports fans and financial fanatics alike. The purpose is to educate and entertain listeners. Look at you with the insider knowledge. to buy or sell investments. Jamarcus Russell's coaching. I believe Trent Richardson tried to play in the Canadian football league, but I'm not sure. All right. So we'll, we'll we'll send the NFL a letter and say, can you give us uh, um, somehow a direct link? Can you get us the cell phone number to these guys so we could say, hey, what are you up? And we could bring them on uh, to the podcast so they can prove to us uh, why they weren't a bust. <laughs> so tune in, tell your friends about it. Tell your family, tell your Especially grandma. Especially your grandma. Unfiltered underdogs. Especially your grandma.